Would you now bow with me once more as we prepare to enter God's word? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that by it we have truth and that as guided by your Holy Spirit, you speak to the circumstances of our lives as well. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us a fresh word today. Translate it for us and speak through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story of a little boy who one day went to his mother and asked the question, Mom, what would you like for your birthday this year? To which the exasperated mother replied, I would like nothing more than to have three well-behaved children. Well, the boy was a little taken aback by this, and he thought about it for a second and then replied, but then that would mean there would be six of us. Becoming well-behaved wasn't part of the equation. Now let me ask you this morning, those of you who are parents especially, have you ever given your children back to God? Probably like that mother, there's days where you said, I'd like to. But when it comes to giving our children back to God, as we've been seeing this morning throughout the service already, And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 1 where this actually happened. And we read in verses 27 and 28, Hannah's words, I prayed for this child, and the Lord answered my prayer and gave him to me. Now I give him back to the Lord. He will belong to the Lord all of his life. And so here we see Hannah, the first wife of a man named Elkanah, who loved her and treated her well. But the problem was that she was barren and childless which in that time and culture was considered the greatest of shames for a wife not to be able to produce an heir for her husband. And to make matters worse, as we saw in the video, Elkanah's second wife, Penina, was able to have children, and we read this about her conduct in verses 6 and 7. Because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her to irritate her. And this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Talk about a miserable woman making another woman's life miserable. And this is not just a one-time occasion. We're told this went on year after year. And now the literal translation of the Hebrew uh, provoked her or did this to irritate her The literal translation from the Hebrew is thunders against, thunders against. You know, sometimes in our difficulties and in our own struggles in life, we have those people around us who thunder against us, who use the opportunity of our own misfortune or our own private suffering to hurt us further than we are already hurting. Now, sometimes people are simply unaware of the pain they are causing with their words. It's done out of ignorance. But here we see that Penina was clearly being deliberate in her taunting of Hannah. And this went on year after year, we are told. Then we see in verses 9 to 16, how when Hannah arrives at the temple to pray for a child, that she is so overcome with sorrow that Eli the high priest, while he believes her to be drunk, she is so overcome and distraught. And so here we see a woman who is socially disgraced. She is unable to have children. She is emotionally depressed, and she is spiritually disturbed. But in that dark place, she turned to the right place. And let's look at Hannah's prayer in verses 10 and 11. 
In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, the first thing I'd like to draw out, especially for parents this morning, is this. When we dedicate our children to God, we acknowledge that they do not belong to us, but to him. Hannah knew that if she were to have a son, God was the only one who could give him to her. And so she recognized that a child was a sacred trust from the Lord. And if he would bless her with one, she acknowledged that that son would be hers to love, nurture, and train, but not hers to own. And this is what child dedication to God is all about. Giving back to the Lord the child he has given to us. We acknowledge they primarily belong to him. We are caretakers. They, they are entrusted to us to love and to nurture, but they are not ours to own. They belong to him. Secondly, when we dedicate our children to the Lord, we are committing to teaching our child about God, Jesus, and his truth, and we make it our highest priority. Now, I know that for some parents, teaching their children about God, Jesus, and the truth in the Bible is seen often as an afterthought. It's something that they'll do when we get around to it. Or better yet, we'll get someone else to do it for us. But here we see that even before Samuel is conceived, Hannah commits to giving her son back to the Lord to serve him as her first and her highest priority. Notice she doesn't pray that he will be successful, rich, famous, or intelligent. No, her prayer is that he would be for the Lord all the days of his life. Now, as a parent, she is making this decision even before she has conceived this child. She is making this vow. But even in this, she knows that at some point, Samuel, well, she doesn't know Samuel yet, but her child would have to decide to agree with this plan. And so she's going to do everything in her power and with God's help to point this child in that direction. And there's a timely lesson for all of us who are parents here this morning. What is your What is your priority for your children? What is your prayer that you pray most often on their behalf? Is it for health, wealth, fame, intelligence, or that they might have a heart for God above all else? It's not that it's wrong to want health or or success for our children, but that shouldn't be the highest priority. Our highest priority should be that they would have a heart for the Lord and that they would be for him all the days of their lives. This is a matter of priorities. And Hannah set the eternal priority as number one above anything else. And as parents, we need to do the same. Thirdly, when we dedicate our children to the Lord, we commit to helping our child realize God's unique plan for their life. For all of the parents who dedicated their children to the Lord here this morning, This was a tremendous and great step towards this goal. But remember, it is just one step of many. Yes, in her desperation, Hannah prayed the words of dedication and made her vow to God. But would she follow through with her actions in the years to come? In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, we see God say of the young prophet, 
Jeremiah. He says this, Before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. You see, for each child dedicated here this morning, God has a special plan. He has a unique work for each child. And as parents, God has entrusted us to be the primary protectors and facilitators of that plan. Because as crazy as this sounds, if you're a parent here today, if you're a parent here today, out of the billions of people on this planet, God chose you and you alone to be the parents of your child. And much more than just a random choice, you were carefully selected by God for your child and for your children. And God does not make mistakes, either with the creation of a child or with the choosing of their parent. Whether born to you by natural birth or through adoption, you are God's pick for your child. You are the one he has entrusted to point that child back towards him. His plan and his incredible grace for them through Jesus Christ. And one of the best ways that we can show them what God's grace is like, and one of the best ways that we can point them back in his direction, is of course by modeling that, and living that out in a genuine way in our own lives. Arthur Bowler tells a story from his childhood in the book Chicken Soup for the Christian Family Soul, and listen to what he writes. I watched intently as my little brother was caught in the act. He sat in the corner of the living room, a pen in one hand and my father's hymn book in the other. As my father walked into the room, my brother cowered slightly. He sensed he had done something wrong. From a distance, I saw that he had scribbled across the length and breadth of the entire first page with a pen. Now staring at my father fearfully, he and I both waited for his punishment. My father picked up his prized hymnal. He looked at it carefully and then sat down without saying a word. Books were precious to him. He was a clergyman and the holder of several degrees. For him, books were knowledge, and yet he loved his children. What he did in the next few minutes was remarkable. Instead of punishing my brother, instead of scolding or yelling or reprimanding, he sat down He took the pen from my brother's hand and then wrote in the book himself. Alongside the scribbles John had made, he wrote, John's words, 1959, age two. How many times have I looked into your beautiful face and into your warm, alert eyes looking up at me and thank God for the one who has now scribbled in my new hymnal. You have made the book sacred, as have your brothers and sisters, to so much of my life. Looking at this all and hearing my father's words, I thought, wow, this is punishment? And now from time to time, I too take a book down off my shelf, not just a cheesy paperback, but a real book that I know I will have for many years to come. And I give it to one of my children to scribble or write their names in. And as I look at their artwork, I think about my father and how he taught me about what really matters in life. People, not objects. Grace, not judgment. Love, which is at the very heart of a family. I think about all these things, and I smile, and I whisper, Thank you, Dad. What an incredible example of a father showing his child and his children in a practical way what grace looks like. 
something they never forgot. Let's model this for our children, because we know life is far from perfect. There will be many, many scribbled-in hymnals along the way, and things broken along the way, and trust broken, and, and hurts given. Let's show grace, like that father did to our children. Let's model it. And fourthly, when we dedicate our children to the Lord, we entrust him with their safety. We move on in the story of Hannah, and we see that God answers her prayer. She conceives, and Elkanah and Hannah welcome their son Samuel into the world. So after all of Hannah's sorrows and tears, especially because of Penina, we can well imagine how Samuel was just the apple of her eye, and how much she must have enjoyed, at least in her inner thoughts from time to time, enjoying the fact that Penina finally had to shut her mouth. I'm sure there would have been a moment where she just enjoyed that. But then the day came that this apple of her eye, her prized son, that day came that Samuel was weaned and he was able to live apart from his mother. Now there's some estimates on how old that would have been, but many scholars agree that Samuel would have been around four years of age when she took him back to the temple. Now having a four-year-old of my own, (laughs) I honestly can't imagine how difficult it must have been for Hannah to follow through with this vow and to physically take her four-year-old son back to the temple and say, he is here to serve the Lord. But that is exactly what she does. We read this in verses 24 to 28. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. What an incredible act of trust. To trust her four-year-old to the Lord and to the high priest Eli. This reminds me of another even more incredibly difficult act of trust. Where a parent trusted God to keep their child safe. And this reminds me of Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham was willing to obey God's command to go up the mountain and to sacrifice his only son Isaac as a burnt offering. And we see in Abraham's actions that he demonstrated that his faith in God was supreme even in regards to his precious son's life. And in this action, Abraham was saying, Lord, this young man belongs to you, not me. You gave him, and he is yours to do with as you please. And so I entrust his life to you. And the critical piece here is trust. When you worship God first, you put your trust in God that he will love your children as much and, in fact, more than you do. And we trust that he will do what is best for them and with them. And as parents, sometimes that means making very hard decisions. Hannah decided and followed through with entrusting her four-year-old darling son to the safekeeping of Eli at the temple. Trusting God with our children is one of the hardest things to do. Because God does not guarantee their safety. And because of that, many question God. 
They question his love. They question his power. They question his integrity. They say, how can God let a child suffer with sickness, hunger, disease, war, disabilities, and even death? How can God allow a school bus full of kids to be in a terrible accident? How can God allow children to be swallowed up in a tsunami, crushed in an earthquake, or even last Sunday, gunned down in a church worship service? Then they conclude with righteous indignation, I reject a God like that, and they turn away from him. You may have done that at one time in your life or known someone who has. You may have asked these questions yourself. Indeed, they are hard questions. They are hard not to ask when a child of yours is the one who is suffering. And these questions are not new. They are as old as pain and suffering itself. They are as old as earthquakes, pestilence, war, mental illness, and physical deformities. Job asked these questions when his ten children were all crushed in an earthquake as his house came crashing down on them, as the whirlwind turned in the corners of their house, he begged God, why? Why has this been allowed? Why did you allow this to happen? And God gives him the answer in the later part of the book of Job. It goes for chapter upon chapter, and it comes in the form of a series of questions, which I'm sure you've read, all of which hammer home one single point. Who are you to question me? I see what you do not see. I know what you do not know. I understand what you don't even know to misunderstand. And what God says to Job and what God says to every one of us is this. Trust me. Trust me. They are my children. And I always have a plan, even through the pain. Now here it is. Listen. Don't miss it. When you trust God, When you love God, when you acknowledge God's primacy in your life, you give the greatest blessing of all to your children. You give them hope in a Father in heaven that cares for them with the greatest of all loves. One who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You see, God asks nothing of us as parents that he as a parent has not willingly endured himself. Where Abraham's hand was stayed when he was to sacrifice Isaac upon that altar, his hand was stayed, Isaac was spared. With God's own son, the soldiers were not stayed. Jesus was not spared, and the nails were driven in. And through the darkness of evil and suffering, God the Father suffered suffered with him as only a loving parent could. But yet the safety and the well-being of the only begotten of God was not more important than the plan to save us all. What love is this? What an incredible plan that God would willingly go through with his own son so that we too could be adopted as his children and into his family. And so through it all, Through the darkness of night, we can trust that God's plan, his ultimate will, is always for our good and for salvation. And so we can trust him to that end. I once read a story about a tribe of Native Americans with a unique practice for training young braves. On the night of the boy's 13th birthday, he was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. Before that night, he had never been away from the security of his family and tribe. One particular young man was blindfolded and led many miles into the wilderness. He was instructed not to remove the blindfold for an hour. 
On this particular night, dark clouds obscured the moon and stars, and when he removed the blindfold, all he could see was utter darkness. Every time a twig snapped, he visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. Every time an animal howled, he imagined a wolf leaping out of the darkness. He spent a terrifying night on the edge of panic, but he didn't leave. After what seemed like an eternity, the first rays of sunlight began to lit began to lighten the eastern sky. And looking around, the boy saw flowers, trees, and the outline of the path. And then, to his utter astonishment, he beheld the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a long bow and arrow. It was the boy's father. He had been there all night long. As parents, we want to protect our children and keep them safe. So who better to entrust their safety to than God the Father, who through the darkness of night will never leave us, never abandon us. He will be there even when we feel utterly alone. Even in the darkness, he has a plan for our good. And even when we can't see him through faith, we know he is always right there. So let's trust our lives and the lives of our children to him, for he is a good father. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we simply acknowledge as children that you're not only a good father, you're the perfect father. You are the heavenly father that any earthly father can only hope to be a little bit like. And so, Father, as a dad, I ask, help me to become more like you. For each dad and father represented here today, for each grandfather... I ask that you would help each of us as men to become just a little bit more like you. That our hearts would be filled with just a little bit more love and a little bit more grace and a little bit more wisdom. I pray for each mother that you would fill them with a little bit more love and patience and understanding and strength to be more like you as they mother and nurture their children. I pray, Lord, for those who are children, that they would follow and honor their parents' instruction. And that they would not reject it or turn away from it, but that they would receive it as from you. And Lord, I pray for all children under the care that have been nurtured in this church family. Whether they are close to you or have drifted away, Father, we pray that each one of them in the end will be found safe in you. For we entrust them into your hands. We know you are able to do that which we cannot. And so, Father, we entrust our children back to you for they are yours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.